In this Genesis 20 podcast, the artist Grayson Perry is in conversation with Hadrian Garrard, who received the Genesis Foundation's Genesis Prize in 2016 for his work as director of Create London, the award-winning organisation that roots artists in their communities, drawing a sustainable model for artistic creation and funding within local groups. Grayson Perry is working with the architectural practice Apparata on an affordable housing scheme with integrated studios for artists embarking in East London, a scheme being driven by Create London, of which Perry is an associate. Here we are in Grayson Perry's studio, yes. which is a real privilege. We've just spent the morning looking at a design for a street lamp, which is a work that Grayson is very generously working with us on to go outside a building in Barking that will be home for 12 artists and their families that we are just about to get on site and start building. So that's how we met really through that project, thinking about where artists can live these days in a city like London, uh, where we're losing a lot of studios and it's hard to start a kind of life as an artist. These Perhaps it's always been hard, but I guess the question might be how much more difficult do you think it might be for someone? Well, I think nowadays, because of gentrification, there isn't that kind of bandwidth of property that we as artists used to occupy, you know, which were squats and short-life houses and abandoned council houses. That, you know, in the 80s, every street had a council house that the council couldn't afford to maintain and mm. so they were right for squatting and the, the council wisely I think allowed squatters to look after them really stop them becoming totally derelict and uh, those, all those sorts of properties now they don't exist in London anymore because basically people treat property like an investment nowadays mm. and that you know that cycle has ravaged the potential places that artists would have been in yeah definitely of course, artists are part of the gentrification process. You know, we are the stormtroopers yeah. of the gentrification process. And this is a global phenomenon now, is the, the kind of monetization of bohemia. You know, and uh, yeah. there's a kind of global phenomenon. Everybody, as they become more wealthy, as societies become more wealthy, they want to live in cool, interesting places. And the kind of, uh, the internet encourages this idea that that is a desirable thing. And uh, artists are very good at uh, building areas, communities, which uh, seem interesting from the outside. Mm. Uh, and then along comes the gentrification process and basically turns it into a cultural desert over time. So do you think it's inevitable that essentially artists who haven't got wealthy parents or are not making enough, you know, the average, the, the average kind of salary, let's say, or the amount of money that an artist makes is not generally enough to really live in London anymore so do you think there's room for kind of intervening or do you think it's actually just maybe a good thing for other places like whether that's Margate or Birmingham or Glasgow yeah in some ways when we talk about you know the northern powerhouse or you know the fact that you've got all these ex-industrial towns that are kind of struggling well what's the stop artists suddenly saying well we're all going to go to Bradford and it's, if it's got the kind of building stock that would suit artists and artist studios, what's to stop them going there? I think Bradford at one point was the cheapest place you could live in Britain. I don't know if it still is. Yeah. And I, th- I sort of think if, if artists kind of all collectively, you know, if they can't do it nowadays with the internet, when could they do it? You know, just said, let's all go to Bradford. Mm. 
that I've told young people here, just choose a place, get together, choose a place and go there and build your own community. I mean, they've done it in other towns. And artists have that power. They could do it better than anyone, I should think. Having an optimistic conversation about this then, are we now looking at a future? So like Bradford is now like a hotspot. It takes an hour and a half to get to London on, yeah. on the brilliantly run HS2. Yeah. London becomes this sort of very shiny but important London becomes like Manhattan. Yeah. 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 It's sort of unaffordable to even a kind of tech startup entrepreneur. And that works. And there we go. And that could be a future, right? I suppose. I mean, Glasgow is the other one. We've got there's so many artists that we work that have moved to Glasgow, not yeah. just because of they you know, Lockton went to the art school there, but there is this sort of critical mass of people. They don't feel that they don't have a community of other artists. There are galleries there. There, there's a kind of market. Yeah, as long as the artists, you know, have got a realistic vision of how they're going to make their living mm. and who their market is and things like that, then yeah, there's nothing to stop them doing that. I think in the modern world, you know. Collectors are incredibly lazy, though. They won't go far. You know, they like to walk from Claridge's. There is this argument that, yeah, it's all very well talking about moving to Bradford, blah, blah, but if you want to have a gallery, if you want to sell work, yeah. collectors, etc., you need to be near... Geography is still very important. I mean, why yeah. did all the tech people all moved round Old Street roundabout? You know, it's because they wanted to bump into each other in the overpriced coffee bar. Mm -hmm. And so... Uh, I think that that's not to be denied. I'm just thinking of, you know, the potential for of having a nice life where you could actually work and live, and your children could go to a decent school, and you could mm. walk the dog, and you know those sort of things. But access to the art world and the art market is another thing. Mm. But you know, you'd hope in a, in the modern world that you work. You know, if enough, if there was enough kind of numbers involved, it could work. This is, this is positive stuff. Yeah, it's I'm trying to be positive. It's good. No, because me, myself, we're normally... So, I mean, is, do you think, on the other hand, though, that London will lose something? It will... Like, we talk about it, may, yeah, maybe it turns into Manhattan. That's the danger of it, it yeah. What does it, it lose when it loses its artists, I suppose? Well, it's already, you know, in places, it's sort of that sort of corporate hipster thing now, you know, mm. where there's a kind of... It's, it segues from kind of interesting to kind of regulation interesting and then it just becomes bland and I think that artists they are always good you know you'd hope that the, you know the imaginative people are not just looking at you know they're looking at how you were an artist as much as what sort of art you make mm -hmm. and that may change you know it might change that the old model of being an artist is is not the same anymore you know because the art world is changing I mean there's, there's always been two strands in the art world you know certainly since, since I was at college. One is people like me who make Googles for the super rich, you know, that we sell at art galleries. And the other sort is the kind of often publicly funded activist, public-facing, mm. social conscience type artist. You know, and I try to do a bit of both, you know. You do. Yeah. yeah but um, I would say I am the former and then, you know, other, other sort of artists who kind of do interventions, things like that, they're... Yeah, the other sort. They, they perhaps don't make things that you could put in your living room. I wanted to talk to you about that because I feel that you have a real awareness of the reality of who buys it yes. and where it lives. And I guess to some extent what it's for. To compare the two things that I most recently saw, so your exhibition at the Serpentine, the most popular show, and then what's on at the Victoria Miro Gallery at the moment, which has got a brilliantly named title, which is... That's Super Rich Interior Decoration. 
in many ways they're kind of shows that deal with the two aspects of my work in that I am very interested in my work being accessible mm-hmm. intellectually as well as physically and um, it be, so therefore you know aiming for popularity and on the other side being kind of ruthlessly aware of the fact I've got to make a living mm-hmm. and I'm selling covetable objects mm-hmm. to people to put up in their houses and so I'm quite happy to try and square those two things. And I think, say, the piece I think in many ways exemplifies that is my piece, Don't Look Down, mm-hmm. the carpet, you know, which features a homeless person. You know, I, I can't think of any more pressing sort of central concern in our society than housing. And there is a work, a very desirable nicely coloured, beautifully made carpet. That someone's bought, presumably. Yes, yeah. more than one person bought, edition of ten. Oh, there we are. And okay. uh, you know, and uh, so the, the poetry of that, that position is delightful, mm. you know, and quite uncomfortable, which I quite like. I'm under no illusion. I mean, I make the TV shows, mm. so I have a kind of broad demographic in my audience. And I love it when I'm sort of cycling along the road and a, and a taxi driver just sort of leans out the window and goes, me and my wife, we love your tapestries, like that. Brilliant. And it's, like, it's great, you know, and I think I'm proud of that, that I have that reach. And I make work that, mm. oh, I can see the work in that. You know, there's a bit of skill. And I, I know what it's about. I saw it on the telly. And, and that's great. And that's, you know, it has become a big part of my practice. Mm. Yeah, if I have any kind of sort of campaign rolling in my head it's against the intellectual obscurantists in the art world that put too much status and currency in their kind of supposed performative seriousness I would call it how do you make it look like it's serious more serious than the other thing when it's just the same you know you just use longer words and write more more kind of thesis about it we commission artists to do projects and sometimes they are quite obscure and difficult and quite political suppose in some ways and people with quite strong opinions I sometimes justify it in the sort of Alexander McQueen argument that yes he might make some very strange avant-garde clothes but eventually we will all be wearing our trousers turned up a little bit higher because actually <laughs> there is, there's a trickle down from that and sometimes I think well actually yeah these might be quite small audiences and quite difficult things to grasp but yeah. there is a, maybe a, a sort of thought leadership or something or ideal leadership let's say yeah. I'm in the middle I struggle I, with that I'm, I call myself a middle brow activist I'm part of the art world enough to sort of look at some of the more difficult and obscure and avant-garde ideas and think oh well how could I water that down in a way that will, will be appealing to a wider audience mm-hmm. you know and it's like the person that reads the academic textbook and then writes the best-selling kind of version of it you know the, the, the best-seller lists in the, the, the papers are mm-hmm. full of people who've just made difficult ideas more accessible and I think that they do they're doing a favor and of course the academics hate those people I've said it before you know how do you tell the difference between an intellectual and a pseudo-intellectual well, the pseudo-intellectual is the one with the book deal and the TV series. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's like... You know, and, of course, they, they sort of curse, and I go, well, just m- make yourself more understandable and have a bit of empathy with the audience, you yeah, know? Yeah. I think the trouble is, is that artists are like a lot of people in academia. They kind of... They've become bound up in the, the, the status of approval of their peers mm-hmm. rather than an audience, you know, a wide audience. How much of this is to do with class and we know that the organisation I run a big 
national survey with Edinburgh University, the panic survey a few years ago, was looking at who works in the arts. Yes. And turns out, we, we, know, you know, we knew it already, but it is the most elite profession. And that includes people that are working in galleries or in museums, and it's worse than banking in that sense. How closely it reflects the British population as, as a whole. Mm. So it's super white, super middle class, leadership roles, very male. It wasn't a surprise, and there's a lot of work, and I would say there's a lot more awareness in that industry of its own lack of support from people from different backgrounds and the ways in which museums and galleries, particularly in the public sector, publicly funded, have an obligation to work a lot harder in that sense. But I suppose as an artist... Has that kind of shaped your relationship with how your work kind of speaks to, let's say, uh, a broader audience? Well, it changes from piece to piece, from show to show, project to project, you know. With the TV, for instance, you know, I'm kind of making works quite often that are, are appealing to the same audience. I'm under no illusion even with the TV that, you know, I'm, if you get a, put an arts programme out on Channel 4, and if you get a million people watching it, mm -hmm. you're happy. That's enough, you know. It's not Love Island or Downton Abbey, you're not getting those kind of audiences. But uh, it's a lot more than an art exhibition, you know. Do you know what the numbers were for the for, for the Serpentine show that you did? Yeah, I think I had about 200,000 through the door, right. I think. And that was, I think, their most popular show. Oh, they said that it was their most popular show they'd ever had there. There you go, you've got five times as many people watching... Watching on one the hour of telly, rather than spending an hour in an art exhibition. Yeah, so, mm. yeah, you know, as, as, as a commissioning editor at Channel 4 once, you know, I told her, yeah, I had 120,000 in the BM, and she said, if they were my viewing figures, I'd get a sack. The art world has a very distorted idea of popularity, I think. Just taking art outside of galleries, is that something that is... So you've taken yourself outside of galleries, let's say, and... I think the thing is that a lot of artists, when they say, oh, we're taking art outside the gallery, they're kind of bringing the gallery with them. Yeah. You know, they've got all that baggage still trailing behind, all yeah. the intellectual and avant-garde and yeah. obscure baggage. They're still pulling it, doing their sound installation in some kind of poor part of town. Without, without consent normally as well, like no one's asked for it. Yeah, and so I think that when I do something out of the art gallery, normally it's not art. You know, when I'm making TV, it's TV. It's not art, it's TV. Mm. When I do a stage show, it's not performance art, it's a stage show. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like I, I go there to entertain people. Yeah. There, there's that sort of traffic which Duchamp set up, which sort of drags something into the art gallery. It, it, it gains the status of art. Mm -hmm. Then I think now it's a lot of people dragging things out of the art gallery that still want the status of the gallery they're not willing to embrace other value systems. Because then suddenly they might like, oh, it's not very well made, is it? Or it's not that entertaining. It's like video art, you know, it's like, so you want me to sit on a hard bench for an hour watching your impenetrable film. When we make, say, with three weeks shoot making an hour of TV, four days of that is shooting buildings, freeways, people walking down the street, mm. you know, a lot because the, the editor needs those shots all the time of... Yeah, yeah. And they can be very, very potent parts of the film. I think you said to me once that, it wasn't, I think you were talking to the group of artists that were moving into this building in Barking about what they're going to do in this particular community. And, you, and I think you said, if the 20th century was about what art can be, yeah. then maybe the 21st century is more about what art is for. Yeah, and where it's done, to, uh, for who. There's no reason that you can't make good quality art that is accessible. I mean, that's the skill of it, you know, mm -hmm. is making it 
the clarity and empathy with the audience about what their value system is, you know, for, for, for good art. I'm also, you made me think about this idea of yourself going out into the world as an artist, but not making an art, but actually making TV and writing a book and doing other things. Do you think there's something in that for people who would identify as artists, but actually a lot of artists obviously teach? In this particular project in Barking, we're thinking about them running a community centre. Yes. And having the sort of flexible work patterns and skills and talents needed to do that. So I'm thinking, like, as we reach this crisis in social care and looking after an ageing population in cities like London, is that an opportunity, do you think, for artists to think about ways in which they can contribute to, to civic life in other ways in exchange for things like cheap studio space, housing? I think it's a good formula. Certainly, you know, if I... In, in an earlier part of my career, I would have done something like that, mm-hmm. you know. And I, but right. I, you know, what happened was when I was, you know, they had things like the, the community project when I was uh, in my twenties, and I was Islington local historian, and we made like a video for schools about Islington local history. We spent, you know, a year researching and making stuff like that, and that was like a way of you got a little bit more of an yeah. adult. You know. I mean, I think that's good for artists in a city because I think the thing with we were talking about earlier about yes, there was squatting, yes, there was taking over industrial buildings. About ten years ago, when all those artists in Hackney Wick got finally the landlords of those buildings sold them because the prices all went up at the Olympics. I think Hackney Council had not one letter of, of objection from anyone living in largely social housing in Hackney Wick saying we want our artists to stay. They hadn't built a relationship with that wider area, yeah. which made it a lot easier. I used to say artists to out in the street where I used to, well, to live in, uh, right. in Leytonstone when I had a short life housing there. Mm. Yeah, there was, a, there was graffiti on, on the wall down the road from my house saying, artists out. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> what were you doing? I think they just objected to the, the fact that there was loads of artists coming in and getting right. these kind of cheap places. The other thing, I, I mean, that's the thing I struggle I don't necessarily think that artists are kind of magical creatures that should have cheap housing, should have spaces that could be used for something else. I think there's a, there's a case to be made, I think. And maybe there's an opportunity for young artists who maybe haven't got flats bought for them by their parents, etc., to actually be part of making that case for why it might be a really valuable thing to have artists. I mean, part of the gentrification process, you might not want to hear this, but part of the gentrification process might be that artists on the whole are middle class. And so therefore, when they move into an area, you know, they might not be very wealthy middle class people, mm. but when they move into an area, they, they, they improve it culturally. In, mm. in, so it makes it attractive to middle class people so that they move in. And so the, the kind of medium income of that area goes up. And I think that's, you know, it's, it's not like working class people go, oh, I'm going to move into that groovy area where all the pubs are painted grey now. You know, <laughs> I don't think that's quite how it works. No, where there's, yeah, where they do really good coffee. So, so, so the, you know, the, the cultural power of artists might be that they just make everywhere more middle class. That's definitely happened. That's been the case up till now. And that carries on, doesn't it? I mean, well, I, one of the things, you know, when I was make, doing my last show, you know, I was sort of joking about, Okay, what happens if white English becomes the minority in Britain, like it is in America? Mm-hmm. And 
then we suddenly, you know, political correctness sort of swings round and suddenly the protected culture is Englishness. What are we protecting? You know, what is it? Like overcooked Sunday lunch, only fools and horses becomes the Quran. <laughs> you know, what is it? You know, it's like, what it's is it you're protecting that's so fucking good? You know, mm. Mm. and I sort of wonder, you know, is Elgar swelling in the background here somewhere? You know, but what is it that you're protecting that, you know, this... This uh, working class indigenous culture mm. that is somehow, you know, Brexit and the, the kind of political moment is somehow Nigel Farage. What is exactly, is it kind of, you know, is it like John Major? Is it the matron peddling past the cricket pitch in the village green? Mm. You know, what is it? It seems to be like memories of grandparents to me. It's like this generation and a half gone. Yeah. They used to drive around in their Austin Allegros and they could always park and there weren't so many queues at the doctors Yes. and they ate decent plain food and they were happy about it because they'd been at war and things were a bit quieter. And it seems, it seems to be quite, I suppose, sort of Proustian in that sense. It's people's childhood memories of their grandparents seems to be, like having spoken to quite a lot of people from different backgrounds, that's the thing that they think they're, that they're losing. We didn't do domestic violence like they did in the old days. Oh, God, it was great, you know. <laughs> when people ask me what sort of family I come from, I say, oh, you know, normal, bit of domestic violence, bit of mental illness, divorce, you know, the usual sort of stuff. <laughs> you know, I think that idealised past, Yeah. you know, I don't know if you really want to live in it, you know, with outdoor loos and no. bad food and... You know, life expectancy about 15 years less than it is now. Yeah, exactly, and the, and the house smelling of fags. Yeah. You know, would you really want to live in it? You know, life a lot on my, by many measures is is fantastic now compared to how it used to be for most people. Mm. The Genesis Foundation's core thing is about supporting people at the beginning of their sort of careers as like artists, composers, and so on. And and I it's guess hard to know who to bet on, isn't it? It's hard to know who to bet on, and I suppose it's hard to know what these these challenges are changing all the time, right? And and for a lot of artists that we work with, it's mainly about in London leaving London because it's an impossible city to, to be yeah. in. If you had advice for your young self as an artist, what what do you think that? If I was if I was young now, yeah, and not then, yeah, I think it's much harder now because there's so many more artists. You know, when I left college, you know, it was a very rarefied small world um, that was sort of poshos and bohemians sort of bumbling through it it felt like it wasn't like the huge professional mega bucks culture it is now it, it was a very very different place and I think young people now they're kind of they see the kind of glittering palaces of the you know the, the big Hauser and Werfs and the white cubes and, and thinking, you know, how am I going to get there? And I think it, what's difficult now is how do you get from the kind of the cooperative shared space in a suburban warehouse, mm -hmm. how do you get from there to, you know, recognition and being taken up? And, it, and it, 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 it's a huge leap now, it feels. Whereas in the past, you know, they, they didn't feel quite so inaccessible because there was... And also, because for a brief moment, there was like lots of galleries in between as stepping stones. Right, right. You know, I was lucky. I, I, I was born at a moment when, you know, I went from a gallery that, you know, would sell things for £100 
to a gallery that would sell things for a thousand pounds to somewhere you know now that you know I make a very very good living mm. and I don't know if that's so easy nowadays you know do you think you'd stay in London because presumably be you, a, you were living quite cheaply yeah I, would imagine, I, I lived in well I squatted in Camden for four years yeah then I lived in you know East London Leytonstone for you know further years on in short life housing mm. but now very difficult but a pragmatic part of me would say you know just find somewhere that ain't too far away where you could afford it's, it's a cold calculation I mean me I would I wouldn't bankrupt myself I kind of I saw I saw too many people hang on to it you know hoping that they would get the knock on the door and it never came so it's, there's got to be a point where you kind of get, you know realistic always have a plan B I would say definitely do you think your younger self would be surprised at you now? Of course, yeah, because he doesn't set off in the art world. To, you don't know what shape your career is going to happen. Hindsight is a smug bastard, as someone said. You know, it's, <laughs> it's like very easy to look back and go, "Oh yeah, that was easy." <laughs> but no, it, you know, you've got you haven't got a clue where you're going. I bet there are some people out there who go, "No, yeah, that was planned, done." <laughs> no, Do you not think at anyone. All. No, because yeah, I've I've winged it the whole time. One of the things that you've got to learn about being an artist that every artist's career is different, more so than ever now, and you, you shape your own career. So if it involves, you know, you, you, you learn to become good at the things you need to become good at. But what they are, you, you can't tell at the beginning. You, you never know. It might be negotiating with councils if you're going to end up being Christo, or it might be that you end up being good at, you know, pottery or something else. You know, you, the skills you need depend on where the work takes you. And uh, you know the logistics of making your work, being organised. Thanks, Grayson. That's that's great. It's really nice to talk to you. Grayson Perry was in conversation with Hadrian Garrard, director of Create London, and you can find more about Create London at their website, createlondon.org, and about the Genesis Foundation at genesisfoundation.org.uk.